This is a QAMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute podcast. Supporting all women in science and medical research. Professor Adele Green is one of the world's leading skincare experts. Her work has vastly increased our knowledge of skin cancer. She led a decades-long landmark study finding daily sunscreen use can prevent melanoma and squamous cell carcinoma. In the process of stepping back from her role as the head of the cancer and population studies here, she's a senior scientist and former Queensland Australian of the Year. Bridget Smith took Adele right back to the beginning. Adele, you grew up partly in Cairns, partly in Brisbane. What was that like? Well, I feel like I'm a Queenslander born and bred. That has, I think, really shaped my perspective, particularly on in my research. Tropical and subtropical life is like where we have exposures very different to other parts of the world, mostly because of the sun, which is what I study. When did the interest in this particular topic or in, in the medical research field start for you? The research topic in particular didn't really start until I had been graduated as a doctor, but the interest in medicine and biological principles, Bridget, was uh, probably lifelong since I've been a school child, but it wasn't a sole interest. I certainly didn't know that this is what I was going to do. I was interested in many other things, in particular books and English literature, and I really thought that's where I'd be headed. Does it surprise you now looking back when you think about what you were interested in and where your career has taken you? Yes, in some ways it does, but yet I know that expression of your medical research, particularly in writing papers and in giving publication and uh, speeches, is extremely important. In fact, I don't think you can be a good researcher and scientist without communication. Written communication and oral communication are absolutely essential, and therefore I think my love of English and English expression and literature all came together in it the end. It all came together. Do you think that communication of scientific research is a valued skill by most researchers? Oh, it certainly is, and I don't think it's something that comes naturally to anybody. Uh, it has to be worked at, and it's easier with experience. And one of the biggest challenges is being able to express research carried out at a fairly high level where it has required a lot of work and a lot of training to be able to then translate that in a simple and understandable way to the community who ultimately are the beneficiaries of the research, we hope, but also are the funders of the research ultimately. You did all of your undergraduate studies at the University of Queensland. Your career then took you to London. Can you tell me what you were doing in London at that time? Well, I had a NHMRC Neil Hamilton Fairley scholarship to go over there after my PhD and study further in epidemiology, seeing that's what my PhD had been in. That was a wonderful experience. Travelling to a different country and seeing a very different way of life is uh, potentially life-changing. It was for me for another reason, and that's because I had my first child when I was over in London while I was trying to do my master's. So that also was a challenge. And finally, in terms of the research, England and the United Kingdom, of course, have far bigger populations than Australia. So for an epidemiologist like me, who needs large populations to study and make inferences about disease in the population, was a real goldmine, if you like, to be working in a unit where we had access to much larger populations than I did formerly in Australia. How long were you in London and how did you juggle being a new first-time mother? Because most people can't do that without the pressures of the workload that you had. Of course, a lot of women can multitask and 
I had to become adept at that, uh, but also have to give tribute to my husband, who uh, was highly supportive, and without his understanding and uh, help in the background, I could not have carried out my studies, and indeed other members of my family also flew over to London to support me when my husband had to return to Australia. Really, the family background uh, support was essential. What was next on the career path for you? I went across to Harvard in Boston, and that also was a marvellous experience, again opening my professional eyes to different populations, living in a different environment and seeing the work ethic in a place like Boston, seeing the culture and the uh, the wonderful aspects of living in a bustling, progressive society in New England, in uh, in the United States. So, And then I returned to Australia, came back to JIMR as it was then, and picked up the last part of my postdoctoral studies. Why did you stay at the Institute for so many years? Firstly, the opportunity of the fellowship came with that built into it. I had found the Institute and still find the Institute an extremely supportive environment, conducive to the top quality research and uh, had standards and values that I greatly adhered to and wanted to keep that environment. So the fact that I had an opportunity to come back and return and maybe go higher now that I'd had the exposure to international research mores to me was just a wonderful full circle. What have been some of the career highlights for you? Uh, the ability to inform the community about how to prevent disease. In particular, my interests have been in skin cancer and melanoma, that these are preventable cancers and yet cause so many people so much problem. If we can rise to the challenge of public understanding of how people can empower themselves to prevent disease, this is great. And, you know, I think this is what we have done with some of our research, particularly in the Nambour community, where we've shown that skin cancer is preventable and shown that by very strict trialling design of our studies and even melanoma, which is a more serious skin cancer. So the highlight then, Bridget, has been to carry out that research, but then ultimately transfer that into the community so that the community has a better understanding of the dangers of sunlight, again, in our tropics and subtropical environment, particularly in Queensland, but also in Australia. And secondly, that they can actually do something about it and prevent the disease. This, to me, has been wonderfully empowering for the community and a great personal reward. What has been some of the ingredients of success for you as a researcher to have such a long and esteemed career? Any success I've had has been shared and the teamwork that I've enjoyed has been constant. Uh, and I'm talking about everyone from research assistants in the team right up to collaborating clinicians and uh, the community indeed. Many of my projects have been in the community. The title of my laboratory is called Cancer and Population Studies. So it emphasises how important the outside population is to me and to my research. That has also been an essential ingredient. I could not have carried out some of my probably best-known research, which was a community trial, without the support of community service clubs who freely gave and generously gave of their time. So without people joining with us, having a rapport for two decades, we could not have carried out the quintessentially valuable research that I feel has come out of that and was based on wonderful support of community members of our research. Securing funding if you're a female researcher is historically difficult. What have been your experiences? I would say securing funding, whatever your sex, has been historically difficult. All researchers 
face that struggle and I believe it's actually even harder now uh, what challenges are for the younger generations of researchers coming through. We spend, historically of course, so many researchers spend so much time writing uh, grant applications but I think we had a greater chance of success, always of course, far less than even odds and so many times all your effort is wasted when your competitors are even stronger or else there's other uh, factors in the system that award that. So I would say sustained Funding is an ongoing challenge and will forever be. What sort of advice would you give to those starting out or considering a career? I would advise young people who have great curiosity about the world, would like to help cure diseases, prevent diseases even better, then consider medical research as a great opportunity to use your training and intellectual powers and be very fulfilled. Was there any area of your research or questions that were unanswered that you wish that you could have while you were still? Oh, (laughs) there will always be unanswered questions. I've enjoyed working in cancer because it is such a a hugely challenging and very myriad-faceted area. The more we learn, the more questions arise. There are paradoxes that we don't understand. That's uh, always something to look at. Particular questions for my field, which is cancer prevention, is human (laughs) behaviour. And maybe that will always be a challenge for us humans. People can often know what is good for them and what is beneficial for them and yet find themselves doing precisely the opposite. Researchers could only go so far in informing people what we believe on current evidence might help them. If we take our horses to the water but they're not drinking, that's, uh, to me, one of the greatest unanswered questions, but perhaps that's a perennial question. We talk a lot about advice, like we have on this podcast, for people coming into their career in the research field. What advice would you give to people retiring, having to let go of their life's work? Yes, that's a very interesting question that not many people would be thinking about in the uh, in the prime of their careers. The biggest issue that I'm finding as I'm retiring now is the legacy that you bring, particularly if you have very large studies that could be carried on by uh, your peers or successors. And research these days has a lot of uh, bureaucracy and, uh, dare I say it, red tape attached to it. Transferring these to make sure that the legacy can live on and that the full potential of your hard work can be realised is a huge undertaking. And if I'd seen this from afar a little more clearly, I might have put in place a better and more expeditious steps to be able to hand over and make sure that legacy lives. And I think that's something for people who are looking to the future. Successes are one thing, but if successes are going to be disseminated for example, outside our institute, which is the case with my research, because my uh, excellent peers in my own unit have all got their own studies, uh, which where they will have, have legacy issues as well. So that's one aspect of it. The other that I think you're implying is that you'll go from a huge, uh, hugely energetic and hugely demanding job to suddenly, well, theoretically, days that perhaps aren't quite so active. Well, that certainly isn't my challenge. My uh, problem is still finding enough time because I'm still highly engaged in committees. I am very pleased to be actively involved in that. I'm still mentoring quite a lot of people. And gradually one day I'll uh, go and grow roses, but uh, it's not happening just yet. Thank you, Adele.